everyday injustice. Too many wrongful convictions, corruption has infected the criminal justice system. Leaving too many people helpless, fighting for their lives instead of receiving justice, people suffer. Is that why they say justice is blind? Hello and welcome to the Everyday Injustice Podcast. I'm your host, David Greenwald. For the past 10 years, we have operated Vanguard Court Watches in California, including San Francisco, Sacramento, and Yolo counties. Our goal? Expose everyday court injustices, and now, more broadly, shine a spotlight on injustices in the entire criminal justice system, in the form of wrongful convictions, police and prosecutorial misconduct, and mass incarceration. This podcast hopes to take it a step further and highlight criminal justice reform on a national level. Everyday Injustice. Today on Everyday Injustice, we have Cynthia Rodriguez. She's a retired public defender who is running for DA in Yolo County, California. Ironically, it's my home county which is next to Sacramento and the home of UC Davis. She is taking on four-term incumbent Jeff Rizek. In 2018, Rizek narrowly averted defeat when he defeated public defender Dean Johansson by a narrow margin. So welcome to our show, Cynthia. Thanks, David. I'm really happy to be here. So why are you running for DA? Criminal justice is my passion, and I really have a vision for how um, the DA's office can become a community-centered office that uh, pays attention to how the entire community functions together to um, make a safe, welcoming, and uh, nurturing environment for its populace, and um, I think I can build that. Um, I don't think the direction we've been going on builds that in any way. And uh, that's what my vision is. And talk a bit about your background. Um, my legal background, I, uh, I'll start with that. And if you want more, I, I can go there. Um, I started out um, in, in doing a lot of different kinds of law, joined public defender's office about four years or into my career. Um, I worked at the public defender's office in uh, the Orange County, I worked at the public defender's office in Solano County and also at the um, state public defender's office, which is a an appellate only uh, that at the time did serious felonies and death penalty and now only does death penalty. Um, after I did that um, for many years, about I think it's about 11 years, I never get the count right. Um, I went to uh, CDCR where I did employment law, including discipline of correctional officers and other staff at almost every prison, at almost all of the 33 prisons and um, the hearings with the witnesses are held at the prisons. So uh, I've spent a lot of time with correctional officers, um, both the ones who were being um, disciplined and the ones who were gathering uh, the investigative materials to go forward in, in hearings. Um, and after that, I went to um, CalPERS, where I learned a lot about administration and organization. And then I was, um, for eight years, the um, general counsel at the Department of Mental Health and the Department of State Hospitals. And that was the, you know, basically the, the highest uh, legal office um, in the state for um, uh, mental health. 
and mental health law was really um, intense there, of course, and um, getting to see how the whole system plays out in the end, I thought was a really um, significant perspective um, on the years, the many years I spent in criminal law itself, def criminal, criminal defense. Um, I really enjoyed that work. I enjoyed working with advocates and families and um, people, uh, clients, people in custody um, who came over from CDCR to be in the mental health system, which now is the majority of people in the mental health system. And um, I have a lot of um, ideas and, and desires to make our system work better, especially for this community at first um, from my time at mental health and uh, eventually uh, left the state uh, about a year and a half ago. So why do you want to go from the defense side to the prosecution side? You know, my belief is in the criminal justice system. And when I joined a public defender's office, I had a great um, desire to um, be the spokesperson for people who had no spokesperson for, for vulnerable and, and uh, uh people in difficult circumstances. And I, I just feel like it's really the, the um, uh, most constitutional thing you can do in America is to represent people in a, in a complicated situation, a court situation and, and help tell their stories. And I found that you know mostly what I saw were a lot of regular folks who got into difficult situations or whose situations were misunderstood or who made serious mistakes and had to find a way to go forward after that. So I, I, that was that was not that is not that far from the prosecution side. You're doing something in opposite to what they're doing. The prosecutors are doing, and yet it's also. Um, it's part of the system. I worked with prosecutors all day long. I knew um, what they did and why they did it. And um, I've done a many, many trials with them. And I think um, a prosecutor has a great opportunity to address the problems within the system um, at, the, at the base. And that's a really um, significant thing to be able to make sure that we're treating people equally, to be able to make sure that we are finding what is actually the problem and either dealing with the problem or finding a way to deal with the perpetrators of the problem. Um, you know, there's all kinds of combinations of what you're trying to do there. And I'm really excited about the prospect of being able to bring um, justice to, to Yellow County in a way that is equal, fair, responsible, and um, contributes to the well-being of the community. So the incumbent Jeff Reisig has attempted to repackage himself as a reformer. Is he a reformer in your opinion? Yeah, that's, that, that's a good question because I have certainly noticed that too. And, and every time I heard him uh, speak or seen his quotes, he's constantly saying uh, he, he's got progressive things going on. And I think what he um, is doing more than that is giving a nod to the progressive things people want to see. Um, yes, I'll make a few bed spaces open or, or a few um, workspaces open for mental health cases and a few opportunities for diversion and a few opportunities for this and that, and then call myself a progressive. But that is not, what he's doing is not progressive because it involves such an, a, a minuscule portion of the people being charged that each each time he does it, it's, it's a, the exception that proves the rule. And the rule is that folks like um, 
those with mental health issues or uh, disability issues or um, first time offenders are getting run over by the system, are getting uh, missed out and ignored and not being given the opportunity to fully you know, understand where they are and what they need to do to straighten out. So I don't think it's correct to label him in any way as a progressive. And I think that um, what we have mainly are his statements that he's a progressive, the absolute lack of um, clear statistical information about whom he's assisted and whom he's um, left out, kind of thrown away, um, tells you what's going on there because if they were good numbers, we would be hearing them. Um, and and we aren't, even the, the, the portal that he's talked about to give um, more, um, th uh, information about what's going on there is not bearing fruit uh, at this time. And in all of his many terms in office, he has not yet um, made clear what his office is doing. And I think I know that is because the numbers such as how many people of each um, racial group are in our jail tell the story in themselves. There are more, more people, more vulnerable and minority people in custody than there are um, in, the, in the many more than are in the general population. So what are your biggest concerns about him? Um, I'm concerned that Yellow County is going to keep trying to do things that have never worked in the past. So for example, in, in the case of turning the um, juvenile facility into a locked facility for um, people with drug uh, problems, substance abuse problems. Um, we are trying something that has been tried many times before, uh, treatment in locked facilities, and that best evidence tells us is not an effective way of treating people um, with substance abuse. We, we all know that people forced into a locked facility have almost no chance of success, not a not even a, a you know a small chance of success. It's it's very very minute, and so to spend our money, our precious dollars, uh, tax dollars, to put people in custody to treat a substance abuse problem is attacking an an old a, a problem with an old old system that never worked before and is not gonna work now. Um, what really works, what has been seen to be wor working with um, all kinds of different populations, the, the unhoused or homeless people, um, drug abuse problems, alcohol problems, is community resources. That money should be going into community resources, should be going into um, outreach where people are, where people are worried about um, there being problems rather than into more incarceration. Uh, the incarceration system, um, mass incarceration has been uh, about as successful as the war on drugs, meaning not as successful at all. Um, we know that um, from studying what's going on and listening to people who uh, have done those, those research reviews that um, we are not smart to continue doing what we did 40 years ago and, and not pay attention to the fact that we still have the exact same problem now. So those systems did not work. So last week, uh, Jeff Reisig joined uh, Sacramento DA Anne-Marie Schubert and about 39 other DAs across the state in opposing a plan by the governor uh, to uh, eventually release 76,000 incarcerated people. Um, please uh, kind of discuss that. Um, you know, it, it's an interesting um, problem because there have been uh, laws passed and propositions passed that talk about how people um, 
time should be considered and whether or not we want to continue the experiment of just throwing massive amounts of time at people as if that will change them or their neighborhood or the, the existence of the, of the problems that communities have. And after that, uh, after those rules that, uh, including in Yolo County, after those propositions passed, um, people like uh, Mr. Reisig and, and a number of other DAs have continued to fight against them as if the people hadn't spoken and said, this is what we want to try. This is what we want to do. This is what we think will work uh, and, and what we know has not worked. So um, at this point, you know, having a CDCR, which is cannot be considered some kind of, of liberal or um, against uh, law and order organization has written uh, regulations which they're obligated to do when the law changes that will result in uh, time changes for people who are in custody, lessening of time. Um, and now the DAs want to fight it again. It's it's like they want another bite at the apple, another chance to say, no, don't let people out. No, don't do this. No, don't do that. Um, you know, we take certain steps forward in society with vote by voting and by making decisions and um, continuing to politic against the people's decision as Jeff Reisig has done with, you know, for example, clearly Proposition 47 and Proposition 57, which this county passed um, easily, um, is, is not what we wanted a DA. A DA has discretion to do a lot of things, but to act in, um, in opposite to what people are asking for, uh, for, voting for, telling them they want, I think is a misuse of prosecutorial discretion. And I think if more people understood what he was doing with the discretion that all prosecutors have to pick their battles, um, they would be very disappointed in knowing that he wasn't going along with what Yolo County um, has voted for and stood for um, all through his um, time as the DA. So um, in addition, Rising along with assembly member Kevin McCarty is supporting AB 1542. Uh, reformers are concerned that this would simply install involuntary confinement uh, for drug treatment. Uh, your thoughts on that? Yeah, I, as I mentioned um, about 1542 and the, the fact that it doesn't follow any best evidence practices for how to treat or um, assist in ending drug problems, substance abuse problems that people have, you know, that's that's a reason not to do it. But the other reason I think is that, um, I, that and the reason I'm uh, opposed to it is that I believe that 1542 makes um, substance abuse a status crime. So you're, uh, you're going to be um, allowed to be held in custody because that's what it is, whether you're receiving treatment, everybody can receive treatment in custody. That's always been the, the fact of the matter. And we could start up programs right now without any kind of um, new system. We could start up more programs in custody to allow people who need or want treatment to get so. Um, but instead we're putting, slapping a new label on people. And this time it's a medical label. A substance abuse problem is a medical problem. Um, and to, to make that medical problem um, lead to incarceration, locked facility, I think is actually a civil rights issue that we are gonna end up spending a lot of money on you know, in, in California um, when those fights come out after we have our pilot program in Yolo County and, and uh, this starts to spread. This is a, this is a huge civil rights issues. And, and I think if you talk to attorneys, you'll see that a little bit of caution now could save us a lot of money in the future. Um, and I also think once, uh, as I said earlier, 
it's going back to practices that we've already seen do not work. Um, it is giving more power to um, prisons and jails and DAs than to um, the people who, who could actually successfully treat these problems. And they're not in a custodial setting. These, these, treat, these problems are treated by resources in the community. Isaac has made it a point to attack the zero bail program. Do you believe that the program that has sought to reduce jail populations during COVID has been a success? Why or why not? I do believe it's been a success. There certainly are, uh, you know, as with every new program, there's problems that things that have to be polished, etc. And I was surprised when I saw um, Mr. Isaac at the Board of Supervisors meeting defending, how, you know, all the how how he has embraced the um, cash bail elimination issue, which uh, in no way is the, the is accurate. He has not embraced it. He has specifically come up with statistics uh, in a kind of an odd way um, that he publishes regularly to make everybody, I think, to frighten people of the Nobel system. Um, I think the Nobel system, they, they've discovered so much about it in the various places where it's been enacted. You know, you call somebody up like a dental appointment, they tend to go to court. Um, people who uh, get in trouble sometimes have chaotic lives and they don't always remember these things. There's lots of ways to get people to court besides putting them in a situation where, um, first of all, they can't help their family, they can't work, they can't keep a job that they may have had that was their one link to possible success. Um, they end up getting a huge uh, uh, record of by pleading to you know misdemeanors. Maybe they get taken in on a trespass, and they just say uh, one of the most common um, plea offers that you would I would get as a when I was a first a, a misdemeanor public defender was um, you know get out today, plead guilty to, to X Y Z, and he could get out today, and they'll have a year's probation, two years probation, three years probation, and people that way pile up a record, and that's that's actually something that happens to a lot of minorities. Um, the reports on on one of the reasons why there was so much upset in Ferguson is that the black uh, Ferguson, Missouri, so the black community was um, being picked up for you know jaywalking and crossing streets and um, different really low level offenses, but that meant that you know it, it's harder for uh, people minorities who have or picked up more often like this to become part of the system, to become police officers or to become students or whatever, when they're always on probation and they're always paying fines and they're always um, sort of connected to that criminal, um, the criminal justice world as opposed to connected to the school world or you know, the many other opportunities in life. Um, and I, I think that um, we need to understand that bail shouldn't be something that you have to have um, and then you get her out free. Bail should be something that if you need to have a bail, it exists because of some um, safety issues or some um, appearance failures or something that um, is above and beyond just, you know, I want your money so I'm sure you'll show up. That's a less effective system and it hits vulnerable people and minorities much harder um, and when you think about it, there's no special reason we should let dangerous rich people out in any case, um, just because they can put up some money. They can also afford to lose it. So it's, it's not an effective system in the long run. And then uh, discuss the Humphrey decision and your thoughts overall on bail. You know, I thought Humphrey had 
some good things to say. And the, the thing that's really nice about it is that it's not, um, it, it, people can't attack it for being kind of wild-eyed and, and radical. It, it, it simply says that about um, the cash bail system, that why, why should someone be in custody when the issue isn't secure, isn't safety? It's, it's some kind of uh, security or uh, debtor's prison type of uh, situation. Um, I, I agree with that. I think it needs to go a little farther, but I think the courts, you know, again, like the, like the experiment through the pandemic of doing no bail, we have to, we have to work through some of these things. I um, hope we work through them more quickly than not. Um, and then, so last summer, and you kind of mentioned this already, but uh, I wanted to dig a little bit uh, deeper. Uh, uh, Rising uh, responded to the public defender in Yolo County's comment about the disproportionate number of blacks uh, in uh, the jail population. Uh, and, and he took real offense to it, which was kind of interesting because the public defender hadn't even mentioned uh, him by name. Uh, she just pointed out that 28% of the people in uh, the jail on a given day were black and the population overall was 3% uh, uh, in, in Yolo County. And, and so how should uh, Yolo County address uh, racial inequities in the system? I think first of all, the the um, we we have to have uh, statistics as we go. We we have to know every day what's going on in our world, what what where the population is, what the percentages are, and and where they're reasonable. And we have to look at everything that leads us to that. So we need to know how many you know the percentage of of. Um, reports that come over, what happens with the filing, you know, what, what percentage are thrown out of each of each group? Because of course the DAs don't file everything the police send over. They, they go through them and see where they can support a charge. And we need to understand why we are, if we have, so for example, if we have, you know, take burglary as a category, you know, wh why are some people who commit a burglary in and why are they out? And it, it, we need to know about priors. You know, this has to be a really logical and information filled system to, in order to combat what's going on. Because otherwise, if you don't figure out why you're doing something, why are we making it so there are more black people in custody that, because that's what's happening. We are making it. The system is, is making that happen. That's not an allegation against any one person. That's the way systemic bias works is that it, it, it gets into your system and it, it makes things happen go in a certain forward in a certain way. And we have to see what's being done at each level that um, furthers that systemic bias. And so I think that, you know, and then at, at this point, Mr. Isaac has said that he's going to, you know, somehow mark out everybody's race and maybe their name, if it might indicate their race and maybe they're this or that or the other. You know, I don't think the solution is just for all of us to poke our eyes out and, and um, not notice anybody's color. That's not really how this works. Instead, it needs to be to, to look at ourselves and decide, find out why we're doing what we're doing. And um, you can't do that without uh, it, making it obvious to everybody what we're doing. And that may be uncomfortable, but you know, none of us are above having to learn what is motivating this, this um, inequity. We need to know what the inequity is, what leads up to it, and to stop it. 
I mean, it's got to be, that's how you change things. It's not, um, it's not pretty and it's not easy, but it's, it's the work that has to be done. Well, and you know, your, your point about uh, doing the blind charging, you know, I think is a good one because one of the problems, and I, we see this in policing as well, is that the assumption seems to be that there's uh, overt bias that's driving this problem rather than systemic problems. And, and so right. if there are systemic problems, then it doesn't matter if you blind charge people, that's not what, what the problem is. Exactly, exactly. And, and it's, you know, I think the truth is of the matter is that most people don't want to be seen as, you know, a, a person who's uh, systemically biased. But, you know, we, we've all been raised here in this culture of America where, you know, we, di we didn't come here um, from the moon. We, you know, we are all raised with what the products of the past are. We have to see where they're interfering with our treatment of others. And that's just, that just requires constant vigilance. Um, no two ways about it. Um, and then uh, one more. Uh, so Yolo County has one of the highest trial percentages in the state. In fact, uh, the last I checked, it was actually the highest uh, trial rate per capita in the state. Um, I don't know what that looks like now because you know with COVID and everything, nothing's normal. Anyway, so that probably wouldn't be a useful measure right now. But uh, you know, from your perspective, how should the DA reduce that number? Well, you know, I think that. Um... I think they're, you're absolutely right. Finding out what happened in the last 16 months wouldn't be useful because who knows what um, the results of everybody sitting in front of their computer is as opposed to everybody being um, on the spot. But yes, it, it is kind of legend that uh, Yellow County does a, a very odd number, a very huge number of trials per capita um, without reason. And one of the interesting things that I bumped into is, you know, I've, I've talked to jurors all my, all my career. And when you talk to the jurors in Yolo County, they tell you of experiences that they have that were unpleasant, not because they had to sit in a seat for days or because they thought there was a bad guy in the room or something. It's because we didn't know why we were there, that there were way too many charges and that the, uh, the, the, the DA was not reasonable about what he was telling us. And, you know, the, the complaints about presentation on the DA side are really uh, one-sided in, in, in Yellow County, whereas they're not present in other counties. And, and I've practiced in, in several counties, many counties. So I think one of the things is um, everybody needs uh, ground rules and supervision and, and um, understanding. And I don't think you let brand new DAs make all their own decisions about when, what kind of reasonable, what's a reasonable outcome for a case. And I do think whenever you get a case, the the DA's obligation is justice, not winning. And it, we need to achieve justice in the DA's case by looking at the case and determining, okay, this is what happened. It appears, you know, he can be charged with this. It appears to be this, which may or not may not be the same thing. And a reasonable outcome that would um, support the community interest and the victim's interest and, um, you know, safety as well as um, rehabilitation is X, Y, Z, and then not just go for broke. And I feel like what I hear about uh, and what I've seen in cases that I've reviewed, which are m multitude, is that there's kind of a go for broke um, outlook here that, you know, charge 
everything but the kitchen sink and um, refuse to resolve it, even though, you know, you, you might get the same amount of time or you might get the same amount of charges if you offered something reasonable. Every courthouse in this country has to have um, a certain number of cases that go to trial and a certain number of cases that um, where, where there's a resolution. Many cases go to resolution. And one reason is people know what's happened and they want to get it over with. They want to go forward and begin uh, straightening their lives out. And But if you don't ever offer them anything that they can plead to, then you're going to end up on the courthouse steps every time. And that's not productive for the county, for the um, residents, for the taxpayers. There's nothing positive about that. So I, I really um, would have a... Um, I would spend a period of time seeing how folks are doing, seeing what they're doing, and then, you know, talk about with them about what I thought the office should uh, head for in order to be doing their actual job, which is justice and not uh, racking up hours or days or time or years in custody. I, 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 you know, I don't want, I think everybody can be worked with. Most everybody can be worked with. And um, I'm very hopeful that that's the way it'll work there. I've, I've always been a really collaborative leader and positive leader and tried to find uh, the best in everybody. Staff-wise. <laughs> it's kind of a strange critique that, uh, because in general, you know, my criticism of uh, the justice system is that we have too few trials that 97% uh, of the cases uh, system-wide get put out and, and that creates all sorts of problems and there's trial penalties and things like that. But you know, toward the point that you uh, made about talking to jurors, I've had the exact same experience over the years. I, I, yeah, it's unusual. How many jurors have come to me and said, you know, I've read your stuff over the years and I went into the jury and wow, I, I, I'm like, why are we even here? I, I don't understand why this case is being tried. Um, and, and they're like, yeah, you're, you're exactly right with your critique over the years. So it, it's an interesting observation. And I've heard that from quite a few people over a long period of time. Well, and, and the point, and one of the many points that come from that is that you know, maybe people are getting experience at trials. Maybe they're getting try ready to try really serious murder cases. But then again, to be a good trial attorney, what you need to develop is good judgment, not just trial skills, but judgment about your what you're doing. And if you don't have the judgment to see when a, when when everybody, the 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 victim, the perpetrator, or the alleged perpetrator, the community, the uh, justice system, the incarceration system, would be better off if you just reasonably dealt with a case. I mean, I, I've gone to trial in, on tons of cases and I, I really believe in going to trial. If you don't put your money where your mouth is and say, you know, this is, this is what I believe, I'm gonna go to trial and show you that, then you are not worth your salt as a lawyer. But on the other hand, you also don't try, you know, things that people are ready and willing to admit to or ready to accept a punishment that you would eventually get at least that uh, little at adhering. So you have to be, like I say, you have to develop judgment and uh, trying everything that comes across your desk is not a good judgment, unless you have a very strange county. So we've kind of laid out a critique of the current DA um, and in our remaining time, I was wondering, you know, how you plan to reform this system? Well, you know, 
I think that the system has to be, again, I, I think that um, the two most important things I see happening uh, in the campaign and in my initial um, time in, in office are that we will have more transparency, that the community is aware of what we're doing, uh, both in terms of the statistics of trials and uh, uh, and what and what we're seeing come into our office and what the uh, makeup of the the accused uh, individuals is, as well as what we're spending the money on, um, where the money is, and if it's being um, traced to its source and spent accurately. There's a very um, odd system going where um, the DA has lots of leftover, but we don't exactly know where it all came from. And it didn't come from one place, so we can't put it in one place. And But yet he has millions of dollars to, to use on this um, pilot program that was not um, something the Board of Supervisors used to um, ask him to work on the pilot program. It's, it's the fiscal situation in the office, I think, is very um, much a part of what I'd like to see some... Um, uh, openness on some some real clear information on it, and the other the other thing is I would like people to begin to understand what DA discretion is, and to understand what things the DA can decide to pursue or not pursue, and to be able to tell us what they think of that. So, for example, um, it's there's trials aren't everything, and and there's also um, there's work in the labor code, there's work in environmentalism, there's work in um, all kinds of uh, things for the community that that can help um, lower the crime rate. There's opportunities for the DA to do things there. And I think we ought to be getting input from the community about what the choices should be. Um, and, you know, if I uh, were to ever make a, a choice of uh, A over B and they had equal popularity, I would need to be able to explain why, e even though they were equally popular, one of them appears to be more um, promotive of what the a, of the D, what the DA is supposed to do. So that's how I would start the reform, and then um, I would build it as I would you know as I would want to see a DA's office a good a good place to work, a place I'd want to work um, for the staff as well as a place that the community can believe is supportive of um, their um, safety, uh, collaboration, and um, positive atmosphere for people to raise their kids and not be worried that if, you know, Johnny makes a mistake at 16 and steals a candy bar or whatever they're stealing these uh, weeks, um, that he'll have a chance to have a diversion. I mean, I, I really plan to hit hard and there's a lot of statutory opportunity for diversion that doesn't demand at all um, district attorneys to review every case. You know, if you're a first offender in, in many areas of the law, there are uh, prescribed programs. And I would like to see all of those working in Yolo County. They're not free. Money might have to be shifted around. We have to work certainly in collaboration with um, social services and other programs that um, develop those things. But um, it, that is something really worthwhile, especially so that people who aren't headed for a life of crime don't get pushed there because of youthful mistakes or you know first time errors in judgment. Um, we've all had to learn in our years on this planet and um, we shouldn't make it so some people's lessons are harder than they need be. So if you had to pick like a prosecutor that you would emulate if you got elected, uh, who would that be? Well, you know, it's interesting because I don't know that I would pick anybody because I don't know if anybody's um, 
had my experience in terms of my my years with mental health, my years with um, you know criminal defense, um, my years with CDCR, um, seeing officers. Um, you know, do things that they needed to, that even other officers acknowledged they needed to be somehow disciplined on or, um, or let go for. And I, you know, I see those as things that inform me and give me a unique perspective on what I want to see in the office. And, um, you know, there's a, there's a lot of judges who have been prosecutors. I tend to look at uh, them and listen to their language to see if they uh, are, are proud of what they did as a prosecutor or, um, you know, now as a judge, see more um, sort of uh, less aggressive ways that they could arrive at this something similar. So uh, I, I'm I'm not willing to to align myself with any single um, person these days, and, and I I really feel like I have a unique perspective. So what does the campaign look like uh, these days as we're coming out of COVID, but we're not really out of COVID? It's really interesting because I um, am really excited. You know, we, um, we were talking about how this is going to be so strange to do everything um, virtually on Zoom or whatever, and how, you know, that might not be my best suit. I like to get out and kind of talk to people and mix it up. And now here, all of a sudden, I think um, we were all a little bit surprised at how quickly the, the no mask uh, for those vaccinated, I'm of course vaccinated, um, order came out and the feeling that we may be able to get out in the streets. Um, I know that we certainly have had a number of offers to do meet and greets at um, private households. And I uh, frankly would like to get out and meet people just on the street and, and in the parks and in wherever I need to go. I really feel that shaking hands um, or bumping elbows um, is a great way to have people have a human feeling about you and understand that, you know, you have both strength and compassion and that you, you will be looking for the best way to resolve things and that you'll instill that in your deputies. Um, you know, I, I, I believe in um, strong leadership and, and, um, and some, some uh, freedom for people who show their good judgment and, um, things like that, but after, that'll have to, that'll be next. So right now it's looking like we're about to change course. That's what it's looking like. It, it's looking like we're not going to do a million uh, Zoom events, which I think people will be grateful for and that we are going to get out more. And I'm, I'm really looking forward to that. That's a, for a candidate, at least for me, that's a, sounds like much more pleasurable way to uh, connect with the public. So we're just about out of time. Any uh, closing thoughts? No, I, I really appreciate this opportunity to, to, to speak to folks. And um, I really um, appreciate the questions because you know the county so well. Um, and I don't mean to um, uh, speak ill of anybody because, you know, I think that the less uh, time we spend humiliating each other in this life, the better. Um, but I don't think that um, Yolo County has been on the, the best course it could be on. And I don't think that... Um, believing somebody when they say, you know, I'm doing progressive things, you know, when the progressive things they are doing are only touching a very, very minute number of people to do something progressive, like, like, you know, have diversion available for all first offenders in, in petty theft and in drug use and in those things that it, having that available for everybody is changing, having it available for 15, 25, 35 people uh, a year is, is not life-changing in the county. It, it, those are just um, samplers that can't make a difference for all of us. So I think we should be proud uh, when we get to that point that we have those things on offer to, 
to everyone. So thank you so much for coming on our show this week. Thank you for having me. This has been Everyday Injustice. That's Cynthia Rodriguez. She's a retired public defender who is running for DA in Yolo County, California. This has been Everyday Injustice. I'm your host, David Greenwald. Join us again next week for more tales from the injustice system. Thank you to George Powell and Norman Mousequake Barrett for the use of our opening Everyday Injustice. You can see more of George's music at www.justiceforgeorgepowell.com. That's justiceforgeorgepowell, all one word, dot com.